0: Good morning, folks. Glad you're here this morning. Good to see you guys. We're going to finish up this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We touched on verses 14 through the end of the chapter last week. Um, we'll go ahead and, and dig into those a little more in depth today and then start into chapter 7. Um but uh, let's open in prayer first. Lord, I thank you for today. I, I just praise you for the sunshine. I thank you that we see the evidence of your creativity in uh, everything that's around us, in creation, uh, in the beauty of uh, beauty of geography just around our uh, all around the country, all around the world. Um, Lord, and I thank you that the promises of your return is to restore the earth uh, back to what it was like um, at the beginning. And Lord, we just look forward to that. I thank you for the promises that you make that as purification in our lives and holiness in our lives takes place, um, Lord, the promises uh, of the rewards in heaven are continuously being uh, added and fulfilled. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us understand today what you want us to know from your word. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just uh, read chapter 6, verse 14, through chapter 7, verse 1 again, and, uh, and we'll pick it up from there. And he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and the idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So does anybody remember... um, Last week, in verse 14, when we read, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have in darkness? Who is he writing to? Who is God speaking to? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 6. Yes. Verse 14 is where we're at. Does anybody remember? Remember? He's speaking to people in the church at Corinth specifically in this in this passage. Also, I would say he's speaking to every single one of us since it's inspired scripture and we have it in our hands. We're reading it. Um, there is a there's a description of people that are in the body of believers that reject truth or that misuse truth for their own advantage. Some who are teaching. Um, in positions of leadership who are teaching wrong or teaching falsely. And so if the church in Corinth is are being like the, the, the people in Berea when Paul was preaching there, and they're going into the scripture and they're researching and they're coming to him with questions because they want clarity on the truth and they also want to know and keep Paul accountable to the scripture, Paul is doing the same thing. Here He's saying, hold yourself accountable to each other and don't take a a casual approach and say, well, they believe a little differently, but that's okay. We can cohabitate in the same body of believers and have differences of opinion about what the interpretation of Scripture is. Paul, in every single one of his letters, says, if anybody teaches a different gospel other than what I teach, then let them be accursed. And, and we read that in a number of places in the New Testament. Um, and so he's giving this stern warning. So what he's saying is if there are two people in leadership or even in, within the body who are, are aspiring to continue to grow in the body that come in and they resist truth. You know, so if you approach somebody and say, you know, I, I, I see something here and I'm confused by whatever it may be uh, by your behavior versus what it says here or by what you say and what this says help me understand will you go into the bible with me to find out what is true and there's a resistance to that that's a big part of who this passage of scripture is too okay and of course you hear people use it as in the in a case of marriage and the case of business partners and and other types of relationships in the world. Um, it certainly does apply there as well uh, because the people that you listen to, the people that are in places of authority or mentorship to you, you're going to naturally adopt their way of thinking, their way of belief. Uh, and he says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15, that bad company corrupts good character. Um, so there's, there's warnings all through here about that as well. Um, And there's several passages of scripture in in other books uh, as well as in 1 Corinthians uh, that speak to this about the there shouldn't be harmony between people who understand truth and someone who questions truth. If we go back to 1 Corinthians, in the same body of believers, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the same body of believers, there is a, a case of incest that is going on in this chapter that Paul addresses specifically, where they have inquired of Paul about how to deal with this, and they have given their their life to Christ, and when you start reading at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, it talks about the, a man is, is having a relationship with his father's wife, and... Paul gives the instructions to deal with the man, and after that, the woman is not being uh, she's she's not being um, disciplined in church discipline. And there's for any could be for any number of reasons. Either a it could be that she's not a follower of Christ, or or b it could be that the man, as the leader of the home, is to deal with this, and then. The, the father's wife will follow. Uh, but anyway, if you go down to um, starting in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And so, he's he's telling the church in Corinth, if you bring the the truth to this person, and the truth resi- and the person resists the truth, and they say, "I am a Christian. How dare you judge me whether or not I'm saved or not?" Saved means you'll listen to this and obey what it says. Okay, saved means that when somebody opens up the Bible and says, "Hey, there's something wrong." I see something wrong. Can we explore this together? Will you, can you, will you let me walk with you through the word? And they say, I want to know the truth so that I can change. We know that they love Christ. Their, their, their concern for pleasing their Lord is more important than their own reputation. It's more important to know that they're right in the eyes of God than their own reputation. Believe me, I've been there where I've wanted to defend my reputation, and I've done it wrongfully many times before. And so we continue to learn this uh, this sanctification that goes on. If we go to 2 Thessalonians, um, we just continue to see evidence. And, and there's never an instruction for hatred but disassociation to the point where uh, there is shame, and I think in our in our uh, country, in our uh, culture, <clears throat> we've we've kind of lost the ability to feel ashamed, or we've we've wanted to suppress it so much, we want to address the the emotional part of it without addressing what actually brought on the shame in the first place, and so this is what Paul. And Jesus, God tells us in, uh, about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if we just pick it up in verse 6. He says, In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. <clears throat> we were not idle when we were with you We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So, so the, <clears throat> the, overarching, um, the overarching message here is to love, is still to love. But in love, sometimes there is some difficult decisions that have to be made in order for every person to see and understand that love without truth is not love. And and the truth has to be implemented in there. And so, um, <clears throat> but truth without love, is, truth without love, truth without love is, really is is not really truth. It's it's legalism. Uh, truth without love is selfish. Uh, so, in other words, I I may I can come and and say, Chris, I can give you truth. And my motive may not be loving so that you can be right with God. My motive may be well if I c if I give her truth and she starts doing what I want, then I don't I don't have to do so much. And that just causes love. A- right. right, right. So go ahead. I'm just trying to flip it around in my head. Truth without love wouldn't wouldn't really be truth though. It would be what people say today is my truth or your truth. Or well, Kind of, and, and I understand where you're going with that too, because you know we want to make truth subjective. Um, and but I forget. Right, exactly. It's selfishness. It's pride. It's it's. It, it, well, I don't know that it's des- deception even. Um, and He addressed it in 1 Corinthians, and I'm trying to remember where it was exactly. Um, it was early in 1 Corinthians that Paul basically says, if if someone is preaching and they're giving truth with the wrong motives, people can still get saved and God can still use it, but their reward is, is stripped of them because their motives are for selfish gain. Okay, um, and I'm trying to remember what... Ch- Say that again, truth doesn't, truth doesn't change, correct um, yeah, I can't remember <clears throat> it's before chapter five. I remember that's yeah, uh. anyway i'll i'll find it say that again yeah that's that's a good verse but that's uh that's not the one i was trying to that i was uh thinking of um anyway i'll i'll find it uh, before we leave today, and I'll, I'll bring it to you guys' attention. But uh, yeah, so truth without love, though, is is prideful. It's selfish motives. Um, a, a lost person can give you truth, and we can get saved from truth. A person can still get saved from truth, but the person that's giving the truth, it's highly unlikely that they are truly godly, a godly person or maybe they're early in their christian walk and they're still learning how to do that so and what paul is telling us in the passages that we're reading right now is to treat that person like you would an unbeliever um, in other words like i said last week is it is it easier to love an unbeliever that's out there on this out there living in the community and makes no claims to knowing christ or is it easier to love someone who claims to know Christ? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but lives like the devil. You know, um, that person's the one that's hard because they're to, to love because they are uh, they're wanting to be equal to um, you know everybody else that claims to know Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, right, <clears throat> and we've we've been in that situation before, where um, you know you you some of you might have children, or some of you may have had children, you might in the future someday, where you know kids. Our kids were raised in the church um, and things like that. My brother, my older brother, my younger brother, uh, we've come to the table before and had conversations about scripture and and one of my older family members they're not convinced that once you repent you have to do anything else um, they're they're convinced that sometimes when they sin it's someone else's fault and I'm going where do you see that and, and they want to take Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and and exclude verse 10 uh, they want to exclude the verses in Romans 1 and in Romans 16 that says, Um, grace leads, grace is dispensed when repentance happens and obedience to God's word is implemented. And so they want to, you have to pick and choose passages of Scripture out of context in order to come to that conclusion. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace, it's by grace that you're saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is a gift of God and it says not by works are you saved but then the next verse verse 10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works so in other words grace through faith as as you pass through faith and your faith is being built up you're going wow i got to stop doing this i got to start doing this and, and you start changing. Your friends start to change. Your relationships change. You no longer do some of the things that you did before, and you start doing things that you didn't do before. And so you're not doing those things to, to save you, but you're doing that because Jesus saved you, and you want to please him. And so the same with my wife. If I find out that my wife likes, I'm <laughs> just going to give a silly example. She likes cheeseburgers from Ziggy's. I don't go to McDonald's to get her a cheeseburger when she says, man, I'm really craving a cheeseburger. I go, you know what? She really likes Ziggy's cheeseburgers. I'm going to call them and I'm going to go over there and get it, you know. Um, And even if she likes mushrooms, I can't stand mushrooms. You know, Uh, but when I'm getting one for her, I get it with grilled onions and mushrooms on it, you know. Um, And so that's the way it is. When you want to please the Lord. You're looking at what the Lord says and says, okay, what pleases you? What am I doing that displeases you? Because I want to stop doing that and I want to start doing what he does. And what he does want. So Romans 16, um, just quickly glance at this. Verses 17 and 18. He says, I urge you I still hear pages turning. I'll wait for just a second. Um, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And, uh, If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes on more about this. We won't turn there uh, for the sake of time. But uh, when you get a moment, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, and you'll see, um, again, a description of within the body of believers, there is possibly lost people. And so you always want to go back to examining the scripture and examining what is happening within the body and not necessarily at the onset make a judgment about that person and separate from them, but go to them first with the Scripture open. Go to them and say, can we talk about this? Can we explore and find out what the truth is openly between us first? And when it gets to be the answer is no, then he's saying, okay, you separate from that person because they're going to be an an influence and it needs to be clear that they're not lining up with the scripture, that that person is resisting what God says. And so <coughs> I've been on both sides of that, that situation um, where people have come to me and where I've had to go to somebody else, and, it, and it's not fun. It's not, a, it's not a fun situation, but the reality is two things happen. The relationship, if it's done in a godly way, the relationship between those two people are strengthened and the truth is exposed. And an incomprehensible um, piece that nobody else can understand other than another believer is visible to the outside world. Okay? So it becomes obvious what Jesus Christ does in a person's life when it's done that way. So anyway, he's not saying that they should never have contact with any unbelievers, um, but what he is saying is religious unbelievers uh, <clears throat> would lead true believers away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so when he talks about being yoked together, there's a passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus is speaking. It's a familiar passage, uh, but it's it's really taken on a lot more clear meaning to me as I study this particular passage in 2 Corinthians. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 <clears throat> he says come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has anybody went to that verse when they were in a trial Um, or had that verse brought to your attention when you were going through a struggle? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So there's a lot of times where we'll go to that verse looking for peace, okay? And uh, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, the emphasis in the Greek language on this verse is on I, the source of the rest. It's not on the rest itself. And so what he's saying is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, he will address later in Matthew what people have to do to, um, to pay for their sins by the Pharisees and by the scribes. Does anybody remember what that is? They would have to put uh, phylacteries, is what they called it, on. And they would have to put things on their forehead and they would have to walk around and they would have to do all of these things to have recompense for their sins, and Jesus tells them specifically, man, you burden people down with so much tradition and with so much stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. And he tells them that, and the Pharisees don't like it. And so Jesus is actually addressing some of that here before it even gets to that point, And so the focus, the emphasis is on Jesus, not on the rest. And so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And again, Jesus turns the focus away from the outside physical and puts it on the heart. Jesus is the only one that's 100% pure in heart. Yes. Yoke. Okay. Okay um in in the early church and in jesus's day if you wanted to train a young ox how to to work how would you do it wayne's gonna pop his hand up how would you do it wayne no (laughs) right Right. 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 right? Yeah. So when you're yoked together, they're walking together. Okay. And so when Jesus is saying, is if you're locked arms and you're yoked with me, we're going where I say. And you're not going to be going like this. So this is a poor example. Okay, but how many of you have seen the Santa Claus movies? Okay. Does anybody remember Chet? Chet was wild. wild. He was a young reindeer. He was just all over the place. I think it was in the second one. I'm not sure. But anyway, so so Chet is this young, ambitious, aggressive reindeer, and he's just all over, and, and Santa Claus gets on, and he's going, come on, Chet, focus. You know, let's get to the hole, the open hole in the sky. Chet is finally yoked up with seven other reindeer that know what's going on. And those reindeer are going and they're going and they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And Chet's kind of off and he's getting drug. OK, you guys know the story. When a, a follower of Christ gets yoked together with Christ, they're going, OK, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm, I want to go this way. And all of a sudden, a discipline happens. Just get back over here, you know. Um, and, and Jesus, of course, is more loving and kind, you know, but but he will allow things to happen. And you can describe this as when I'm yoked together with Christ, I'm going to go where Christ goes. He is the pure in heart. He is the, um, the the he knows the way to rest, even though it means going through something difficult. And so he's describing being locked arms, being married to, if you will. Um, Ephesians 4 and 5 describe marriage that way. Um, And so rest for your soul is going to come in the future. It's always in the future tense. I'm not always going to have rest for my soul today. Paul is describing... He's described in First Corinthians, he's described in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and in some of the passage that I wanted to ask in the last passage that we read in Romans, or in, I'm sorry, in First uh, 1 Corinthians 5, um, I wanted to ask the question, um, are we supposed to work on Sundays? We're going to church. <laughs> You know, and a and reason why I ask that is because Sunday is, is not called for us the day of rest as far as resting as in I need to kick back and have a day off. It's a day of rest from regular work, okay? It's not a day of rest for me serving other believers. Paul describes probably one of the, the hardest days of the week that he worked was on sunday or was on the sabbath why because he was going into the synagogue and he wasn't he was taking the scripture and he was having conversations and he was being persecuted and and people were coming to christ and there was so it wasn't necessarily he was making tents on on the sabbath but he was working for christ on the sabbath saturday is still the sabbath Sunday is the res- day of resurrection. That's why we worship on Sunday. And it's the first day of the week. So if you go back to the Old Testament, what we celebrate as Sunday, that was the first day of the week. They went to work because Christ hasn't risen from the dead yet. Okay? And so they... If, you were a Jew, if you're a practicing Jew, practicing Jews, don't worship on, Sabbath, on Saturday. Right. Um, and so whatever falls into right, that. and that's that's important because in John, uh, the the at the Last Passover, John fourteen, and John I think again in John fifteen and sixteen, he says he tells the disciples, "I'm giving you a new command. Understand this: love your brothers and sisters." You know, previously it was love your neighbor as yourself, and that still applies. But he gives the command to love your brothers and sisters more than you love your neighbor. That has to be a a prerequisite, or not a prerequisite, that's not the right word, but it has to be displayed because Jesus also says that people will know that you're a follower of Christ by your love, by your love for each other. There has to be something that looks appealing within the walls of the church to be able to go to somebody and say, hey, can I share Jesus with you? Most people today, when they encounter a Christian, it's almost like when a Christian encounters a Jehovah's Witness, they want to close the door. Am I right? (laughs) I mean, that's just been what my experience is, because, because there's already a stigma. There's already, you know, even in today... And I've asked this before. If you go into a restaurant and ask a, a, a waitress who the most difficult people to to wait on are, they tell you the Sunday afternoon crew. You know, it seems like the people right after church. I, I don't know if if breakfast was so far away that you got that hungry, and now you're just <laughs> I want to be a I want to be rude to people, um, but <laughs> 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 no finger pointing, okay. <laughs> excuse me but it's just the simple truth that's what's observed by the world about the church today and every book that paul writes and in every all the, the entire new testament there's warnings about not letting it become like that you know uh it doesn't mean that you don't stand up for yourself it doesn't mean that you don't Um, you know, makes you, you're not a doormat. You don't become, you know, just be walked on everywhere you go. But, but what you do is the way you treat people is you treat them in a way that goes, that makes them think, wow, you know, they, they really genuinely care about me. And, uh, and it's with the purpose of them understanding that Jesus Christ loves them and that Jesus Christ died for them. And he wants them to, to come to a place of repentance so, um, so yeah, being yoked together is being bound together with Christ to the point where you're following and you're going right along. And you're allowed. So the last verse, uh, or the uh, verse 29, the last part of that verse, uh, this is still in Matthew 11. Um, take my, in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. There's a, there's an emphasis on learning from him too. In other words, be trained by the one that you are yoked together or the one you say you're yoked together with. So in 1 Corinthians 15, just hit this verse real quick, uh, verses 33 and 34. Uh, This is a verse I think I mentioned earlier. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. And so if there's something that another person says um, that brings question into your mind, what should we do with that? So in other words if you know even if they if they don't if they have scripture even to back up what they say um I've, I had a question come to me yesterday uh, from somebody and they genuinely wanted to know and I was able to open up the Bible and read the passage and I was like okay let's back up three or four verses and see what it says and then let's go forward to three or four verses and see what it says and they went oh okay now I understand cool and that to me that was that was refreshing. It was like wow, okay, awesome. I can, you know these, we can talk, um, we can look into the scripture for truth. Um, but he, again, in First Corinthians, he's describing, he's talking to people in the body of believers in the church in Corinth, and he said, "Don't be misled. If there's somebody that is argumentative about the Bible with you, don't make them your closest friends. Um, you know, continue to correct, continue to rebuke." Um, continue to train, but be careful. Um, so anyway, back in second uh, Corinthians, let's turn back there. We've got just a few more minutes. So I want to get into the first verse of chapter seven. And we're not skipping these others, uh, but we are going to talk about them with chapter seven verse one. He says, "Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So the first part of that verse, therefore, since we have these promises, what promises are they? They're the promises that we just read in chapter 6, starting in the second half of verse 16. As God has said, what is he saying? God says, I promise this. This is my promise to you. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and separate, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, each one of those little sections are from different places in the Old Testament. If you have notes in your Bible, you'll probably see that. That first part there is uh, Leviticus twenty six twelve, I believe. Is that correct? And then uh, in verse seven thirty, come out uh, seventeen, excuse me. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Uh, That's Isaiah fifty two eleven, I believe, if that's correct. And it says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Um, and that's in Second Samuel, verse seven, and uh, or chapter seven, and verse fourteen. And so these are these are passages in the Old Testament that Paul is going back to, and he's referencing to them, and he to help them understand the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament apply here, is what he's saying. And so anytime you see that those references, you talked about the Ten Commandments, you know what are the commandments are brought forward every single one of them that you see referenced in the new testament or referenced by jesus those are the ones that carry over into the church age and continue on so if there's if you see anywhere in the scripture where something is repeated you can you can pretty much rest assured that it applies to us today Um, and there are a couple of cases in the old testament where things were done uh, a certain way that are not repeated other than for historical account, you know, where he says, remember when, um, or, or gives an account to, to reference something that happened. Um, those things are not for today. So, um, the promises are the ones that he just referenced. And he says, uh, um, the point of them is that God's assurance of his presence and his fellowship to those who obey him. Uh, and obedience requires purification. <clears throat> so he says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. And so the, the, the expression body and spirit <clears throat> means on the outside, what people see, as well as on the inside as well as our attitude and our motives for doing it. And so if we do go back to the Ten Commandments, which one of the Ten Commandments, do any of the Ten Commandments address the matters of the heart? If you just read them as they're written, you know, it says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And there's still kind of uh, a... say that again well it's not vague but you could go through the motions and not love god so you can exercise truth without love and so when jesus comes on the scene there's there's a lot of things he says in in matthew in the beatitudes matthew 5 6 and 7 he says you've heard it said do not commit adultery okay the rich young ruler i have obeyed all the commandments. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, there's one thing you lack. You're greedy. Your trust is in your wealth. Go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and come follow me. Whoa. That's big. So when Jesus says, if you look at a woman at the swimming pool down here in a bathing suit with a lustful manner, you've committed adultery in your heart. Wait a minute, Lord, I didn't touch them. I didn't say anything to that person. I didn't talk to them. I didn't I didn't do any of the things that the commandments tell me not to do. Jesus says it doesn't matter if your attitude is your own pleasure. If the attitude of the heart, when you go back to Matthew that we just read, um, when Jesus says, I'm the only one that's pure in heart, if your heart is unpure toward whatever it may be, whether it's a physical relationship, whether it's You know, uh, for a while I went through a a spell where I drove by a car dealer. I thought, man, I wish I could have that truck. Man, I wish I could have that car. You know, Um, and you can just picture yourself owning something like that. You know, that kind of thing. Those are the matters of the heart that, that Jesus starts addressing. And he says, I want that place in your heart. You know, not that those things are bad to have. But he says, I want to be in that place. And if you're not willing to to let me have that place, then then you're not really truly a follower of Christ. And so um, purification of ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Another word for purification is separation. It's interpreted from a word that means separation. By definition, the word death is a means separation. And so if we go to Colossians and we start in chapter 2, we'll just read through these real quickly here. Um, I want to get through these because these are important to that what we're studying. Colossians 2, if we just start in, in verse uh, 13, he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And As we continue on, Let's jump down to to verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? I'm going to stop right there for a second. And again, if you put the words in there, since you died with Christ to all of the things that our mind desires and our heart desires. In other words... If you put a separation between you and the things that God is displeased with and you draw near to Christ, he's asking the question, why do you continue to submit to its rules? Why do you continue to give in to the desires of your heart or the lustful desires of your heart? And as we make that separation... Um, That's where the victory and the power over these things come into play. So he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all the rules that are in place um, in the the Jewish law. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so he says, what he's saying is you can go through all of the traditions day after day after day all you want, but until you address the issues of the heart and the motive behind why we do the things we do, it's not going to change anything. And so when you get into chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, since then... Greed, which is idolatry, because of these the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, <coughs> rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of of its creator, and right above that verse, I have Romans 8:28 and Romans 12:2 written in the margin. In order to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and being conform- and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we have to separate ourselves from all of the things that, is, that are listed in here that separate us from Christ and draw near to Christ to be conformed to His image. And so, in 2 Corinthians 6, when he talks about, or excuse me, in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, when he says, purify yourselves, there's a separation that has to take place between the things of our heart, and there's also a separation that has to take place between two individuals that say that they're believers, and one is genuinely following Christ, and one is clearly not following Christ, and resists the 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 word of God resist the Scripture, and so the resistance isn't always met by. Well, that's your belief and that's my belief and and we can agree to disagree. The resistance sometimes is met by wow you know the word says it I believe that that is, wow thank you. And then next week, they go back and they do the same thing, and you come to them again, and they, yeah I believe that but you know what I just can't do it right now that's still a resistance to obedience to the truth. And it's just a softer version of the same thing. And so that's part of what he's, he's referring to here. Um, anyway, I'm getting a little long-winded here. Once the separation takes place, perfect holiness uh, can and must take place. So the drawing near to Christ uh, and Christ-like progressive sanctification goes on. Thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys.